If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. Uh, Malachi 2, we finish up, uh, uh, or excuse me, we, we get close to finishing up Malachi 2 uh, today. Uh, one more verse to go uh, uh, as we go in the coming weeks. While, while you're opening up there, uh, we're in this sermon series that's taking us through uh, these uh, latter prophets uh, coming uh, on the on the cusp of God's people coming back or after they have been back from this exile. And uh, just to kind of get everyone up to speed, if, if we're trying to place ourselves, uh, they're, they're kind of is a temple and a temple's being built depending on what part of the sermon series you've been listening to or you've been worshiping through. Uh, there are some difficulties with the people's hearts which has connected us immediately uh, to this because it's not just centennial, it's, it's, it's uh, humanity, it's people uh, that, that always need a heart check. And so as we find ourselves in Malachi, which is this bridge, it's in the English Bible, the, the last Old Testament book uh, before we bridge into the New Testament in Matthew, and it's on purpose. It's a bridge, and you see why in a lot of ways, because there's this heavy heart check that is seen through all of these questions, and, and we get the third question today that Malachi, uh, uh, speaking the words of God, is bringing to the people. Now, uh, what we get here is a little bit intense. I've been saying this for weeks now, so we shouldn't be shocked. It's intense, okay? But uh, this one uh, is certainly a tricky Bible passage. This is the last time I'm going to say anything about it, so you'll never have to worry about it after this. Uh, but the grammar uh, is a little complicated. Uh, the Hebrew words, uh, there are some words that are used only once, and they're here, right? Uh, which, if you're a language person, uh, you know uh, can be a little tricky because you're like, well, is this it? You know, how do we do this? And we've got to kind of reach our, our tendrils out a little bit further to make sure that we're being faithful to what Malachi was pushing forward to his people. And praise be to God, we can be faithful because God has preserved a word that is clear and concise. And even as I was telling some elders uh, before, we, we pray for the worship uh, uh, each uh, Sunday morning. And, and I was praying, I said, I was, I'm excited to bring this word because it's so good. And when we read it, you might think at first, no way, this doesn't look good. But it's so good. And here's why. It's just like I told the little ones a moment ago. Our main point is that God chooses his his people and that God's people choose him and and because of this we begin to see the biblical paradigm for kingdom growth kingdom of God notice I didn't say church growth okay uh, church growth has gotten a bad rap I'm gonna stay away from it let's stick with kingdom okay and we're gonna see this as we flow today in Malachi 2 verses 10 through 16 before I read God's Word let's pray and we're gonna ask God to open up our hearts uh, to open up our minds to to do as Jesus would say to give us eyes to see and ears to hear let's pray that God might do that for us Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've given us a word, a word that is always in season. Even thinking through something like that, your immense, unimaginable wisdom and intellect to have a word always be fitting. And not just one word, but hundreds of thousands of them that we see in the canon of Scripture that you've given us. So God, thank you. 
And yet we know, and we are humble enough to know, that we still need you to open up our eyes, to open up our ears, and to give us uh, uh, the movement that we need to see the capital T truth herein. So God, would you do it? And if we might hearken back, Lord, would you do it not for us, but that you might receive even more glory? Because that's our desire at Centennial. It's not that we would please people, not that we would be Bible know-it-alls, uh, not that we would uh, uh, do whatever, but that you would be worshipped more because of this body of Christ that you've placed here for over a hundred years. God, allow us this, and we pray it boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 2, start with verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It remains and we will have it for eternity. Thanks be to God. Now, in order for us to see uh, this main point uh, and honestly to break through what I feel like maybe for some of you is just an awkward passage because it's dealing with weighty content, okay? For us to see this main point that God chooses his people, that God's people choose him, and, and this gives us a biblical paradigm for kingdom growth. For us to see all these things, two points will help us get there. Relationship with God affects relationship with others. That's the foundation. And then a poor relationship with God means poor relationships with others. That's really what's built off of uh, this first verse, verse 10. That's our first point. Our relationship with God affects our relationship with others. Three questions are quickly asked in verse 10. I'm sure you noticed uh, they are rhetorical, but they're going to be very important for us because, as I mentioned, they build this foundation. So what are they? Have we not all one Father? It's the first question. Number two, has not one God created us? Number three, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now, 
taking each question one by one and grabbing the content of them, are, they're going to help us to see the deep connection here. Question number one, if, if we were to morph it out of, uh, out of rhetorical question format and just snatch the content, we would see that God is not one who is far off from his people. Rather, as we see here, his people have a familial relationship with him. Father and son or daughter. It's pretty close. Question number two, if we did the same thing, this God that we are now realizing we are close to, this God is the one true God who created all things. So in other words, there's not a whole lot of gods and this is just our dad, but there are a lot of other dads and they meet outside at the playground to see who's the strongest, okay? No, that's gibberish, all right? There's only one true God who created all things and this God is our father which then helps us to slide right into question three, which I hope you notice is a little bit different. The emphasis, the content, uh, the focus, this one true God who created all things, who is our Father, has told us how we were created to function. In other words, what we should do. Putting all that together, we've got a God that we must listen to because he is the all-powerful creator who is at the same time helping us like a father would help his son or daughter. Another way to put it, it's our first point. Our relationship with God affects our relationship with others because he has told us what to do. As a father would children. So are we listening or not? That's why it's in question format. Are you listening or not, right? That's the emphasis of verse 10. It's an age-old question asked by God to his people. And guess what? Jesus ran across the very same problem when he ran into the religious people of his day. Here's how he answered. Here's how he would sum up what I'm trying to say. Here's the truth of Malachi chapter 2. And essentially, here is a definition of Christian life in its totality. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. If you're curious. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? in the law and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and first commandment and a second is like it like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets including Malachi this sums it all up. One command is like another, but yet totally different in emphasis. Taking our text, then we see that the three questions are connected in saying the very same thing. Relationship with God affects relationship with others. Bottom line, God has established a connection between himself, his people, and their interaction with others. That's the foundation. Verse 10, 
Okay? That's what we're going to build on as we move secondly into uh, uh, verses 11 through 16. Our second point, a poor relationship with God means a poor relationship with others. So, so verse 10 shows us that there's a connection, but what's that mean for us, right? Well, we see it pretty clearly here. Verses 11 and 12 show the people's poor relationship with God. We see it with a couple key words, faithlessness, abomination, and profane. First, there was a growing faithlessness. God's people at this time, so just so you have your mind right for the context, they, they were not rich. They were not powerful. They were not prestigious. They were not in control of the government. They were not in control of the job sector. They were not in control of produce and where their crops went. Truth be told, they weren't even in control of the spirituality, of the religion, for instance, of Jerusalem. Even though they felt like they did, the empire gave them free reign. wasn't going very well. There was no control. Speaking from a worldly perspective, you might say that they were not blessed. And it's at this very point, speaking from the worldly perspective, that they took their eyes off God. When they listened to the world rather than to the Lord and his prophets, and as they did this, as they ripped their eyes from the reality of who God is, and they listened to the lie, a, a, a very mirror image of what we see in the beginning. Did God really say that? Does God really love you? Do you really think this? And it led them down a path of faithlessness. But second, we also see that it's not, it's not just faithlessness. So that's already, uh, we're already in trouble, okay? Uh, but it gets worse. Because we see that abominable things were taking place in Israel and in Jerusalem. And, and that word, uh, abomination, it carries with it extreme tendencies. Elsewhere in the Bible, this is the very word that would be used for human sacrifices to other foreign gods. This is the very word that would be used for the worst of the worst deviant practices of the day. Abominations to the Lord. It is used with purpose. Third, this wasn't just outside. This, these abominations in the, in the seedier parts of town, right? Don't go there. You know, it's not representative of our city, right? You know, or something like that. No! This was actually in the sanctuary itself. God's own house was being profane, that is, desecrated with inappropriate behavior and practice. All of these things combined help paint a picture of a people with a poor relationship with God. They may believe God existed or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a higher power. Yeah, yeah, you know, I am one of God's people by birth. But they didn't acknowledge his ways. They were slaves to their own desires, insecure 
and hopeless. And if you are looking for a connection to the 21st century, church and otherwise, there you go. Insecure, desire-driven, and hopeless. And as they hit rock bottom, they cry out to the Lord. Verses 13 and the first part of 14. The second thing you do, Malachi says, you, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, uh, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why doesn't he? It's important at this moment for us to keep in mind the back and forth and even rhetorical style uh, because what we see here is the lack of genuineness, the hypocrisy of the people. This is not a humble people seeking God's glory through obedience and in questioning God as David would question the Lord in the Psalms. Lord! Have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you far off and removed? A righteous man crying out with humble heart. No. This is a hungry people seeking God's blessing without obedience. Expecting from God all the good stuff. But wanting to use him and abuse his blessings. Because not only do these people have a poor relationship with God, it has now bled over into their relationship with others. That's how we know the hypocrisy exists. It's because they have revealed themselves. I say this often to leadership in the church. Uh, they can no longer hide their faithlessness. Verse 14, uh, I always say, you know, people do a great job of hiding their cards until they stick one on their forehead and show it to me. And then it's like, they don't know. And I say, what are you doing? I, I, I see you. <laughs> I see what you're doing. You know, don't you, are, are you keeping it a secret or something? But we always reveal who we are. And the people here, no less true. Verse 14 in full. But you say, why does he not? Malachi gives the answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. A poor relationship with God means a poor relationship with others. We've seen the sad foundation of the people's poor relationship with God and now we see the effect it has on others with marriage being held up as the primary example. And here's the reason why. This is the moment where we will take the word and we will get mad, upset, angry, uh, we'll warp it, we'll try to justify it if we're feeling maybe convicted or something like that, or if we're not feeling convicted and saying there's no way that this could affect me at all and my relationships that I've had in the past or something like that. And I would encourage each of us to, to be still and to see what it is that God is presenting here because it's much larger than you, though it does have effect on you. Here's the reason why marriage is being held up as the primary example. It's because Christian marriage, that is a covenant made before the Lord to join together, 
Christian marriage is meant to reveal Jesus Christ and the church. We could say it another way. Christian marriage then shows us God's relationship with his people. That's what we know from the word. For those of you who are in the congregation who have gotten uh, to go through the marriage counseling with me, pre-counseling, uh, you know. You know this and it's a repeat. Because the husbands represent the Lord Jesus. The wives represent the church. And as these two come together, uh, the husband's sacrificing everything. Everything. This is not a world thing. We cannot let the world inform us about Christian marriage. Christians, the scriptures, God himself informs us what Christian marriage is. And it's the husbands giving up everything for their wives. And the wives then in that moment submitting out of joy for the reality and the knowledge that their husband will not take advantage of them. Paul tells us not to unequally yoke that's why I will never, because of the scriptures, marry one who does not believe to one who does. Because somebody would get taken advantage of. Husbands give it all up. Wives then submit not in a negative connotation that the world so desperately wants each and every one of you, male and female, to think. And they're wrong. Wives then joyfully submit knowing that their husband will sacrifice all. And the beautiful relationship that we see there represents a much larger and profound relationship of God himself. Not counting equality a thing with God, something to be grasped, but rather giving it all up and coming as a child, the God of the universe now in the, in the uh, likeful, sinful flesh, but not sinful babe. Being held and needing to feed. This is the God of the universe needing to feed. You want to talk about humble and you want to talk about a call. And so, when we begin to warp this most fundamental vision of what God is revealing, namely, his relationship, his salvation, his love, his choice to his people. Of course, the Lord would be very upset. Baseline, marriage is a choice. We choose to love who we love. And we choose to abandon who we choose to abandon. True love, fairy tale love. All of those things. Do not let the war world inform you on this. We choose to love. I choose to love Rebecca. Rebecca chooses to love me. And in this we reveal God's choice for his church. And the church's choice for God. As God chooses his people, his people choose him. As husbands choose their wives, so too do they choose their husbands. But now... Here in the word, husbands are using their wives. Instead of choosing them, divorces are happening not for the strict biblical reasons, but for the purposes of gaining wealth 
and status, marrying into merchant families to begin businesses, or even marrying into false religions to gain power and prestige. Their initial wives couldn't give them those things, so they chose to discard them. And in a few words, this is a faithless, abominable, and profane practice that God will never abide by, then, now, or ever. That's what verse 15 is all about. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. This is not a be fruitful and multiply passage. This is not a let me tell you about divorce passage. That's too topical. This is a be faithful passage. A poor relationship with God means a poor relationship with others. And this is not God's intent for his people, which is why he says it twice. And whenever God says something twice, we would do well to listen. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. One of the fundamental truths of Christianity is that God chooses to love his people. That's why God is so offended here. It's because that very truth has been broken. But if God has chosen us no matter what, then why should we obey? Well, that's another fundamental truth. God's people choose to love and obey him. And so when the marriage relationship is broken, both of those fundamental truths of God's movement in time have been warped, destroyed, demolished, set ablaze, thrown away. Whatever word you want to use, it's gone. But here is where we begin to see the immensity of God's wisdom. Where we begin to see the final piece of this love between God and his people. Because as God is choosing to love his people, as his people are choosing to love him, other things are taking place. One of them being kingdom growth. That is faithful witness to those around us. Remember, it's just like Jesus said. As faith in God grows, love of neighbor grows too. God's silver bullet for evangelism, for kingdom growth, it, it's not found in programs or, or buildings or, or anything else that starts with a thing. All that other stuff won't ever grow the kingdom of God. God has ordained it to be so that he will grow his kingdom by people. That's why Jesus sent people relationships with people. And here are three examples that we'll close with to help you start to move on this intense and wonderful passage. The first is marriage. Husbands and wives, I'm not joking around. The reason I'm not is because God's not joking around. Husbands, it is the most intense call of your entire life. Job, Pleasure, hobbies, 
children, your number one call, as God says it, is your wife. Doesn't mean you can't do those other things, but your number one call. Likewise, wives, husbands are not perfect, <laughs> neither are wives, and yet a reality stands that in humility then, as the church approaches the Lord Jesus, so too do wives approach. And so as you see a husband who is faithfully moving forward, because remember, we're talking about Christian marriages, and I know there are exemptions to this. I know I have to go through them with you. But ordinarily speaking, as, as husbands move forward, wives too move together. With a beautiful word here we see companion, partner, co-equal partners. What a beautiful reality we see of the gospel proclamation. And yet, it's not just for you. This is a way that the Lord has shown how with us as emphasizing these things, we begin to reveal something to the world. But let me continue because not only with marriage, there's also family. That is parents and children. Maybe if you're a child and you have parents, maybe you're parents of children. Maybe you have grandchildren, your, your children are gone, but you have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I know many of you show me pictures. But what is it that you are about in these things? And what is it that you are revealing? Because remember, it's not godly offspring, as in be fruitful and multiply. It's godly offspring, that is offspring that is godly, that is moving through an ordinary flow of who we are as a people of God, that is people talking about God. People who are unafraid to say the name of Jesus in our households, let alone outside. And people who do that every single day. Because that's the call. And it's what the Lord has told us. And we desire to obey. But not only family, because some of you may be single. You don't have a husband or a wife. Maybe you do have a husband or wife and children, but that's not your whole life. Because there's also cultural engagement. And this is the moment, dear Christians. Centennial. What are we doing? What are we doing? We come here to worship. And we go out with a mission. The mission that God has given us. It's a call to be faithful and to speak of God daily. Even hourly. For Him to be foremost in our minds. Always. This is not a pastor thing or a Puritan thing, or a Reformed thing, or a, a Bible-thumper thing. This is a Christian thing. God is number one. And if you are a Christian, you agree. And if you agree, then we must be ones who are going about the things God has called us to, not to save ourselves, but because he has chosen us and now we too desire to obey that which he has called us into. And when we don't, because we all fall short, we're sinners. When we don't, and when we begin to fall head first out of the will of the Lord as Christians, it's no surprise that joylessness rises with your faithlessness. That frustration overtakes peace. That wrath kindles where kindness should be. 
and that force overtakes gentleness. Have you really taken yourself to task? Do you know God's word? Are you exercising your faith that has been given to you to hold fast to that, that movement of God in your life that will give you the things that you so desperately desire and, and yet sometimes fall away from peace and contentment, everlasting? This has been a tough stretch for Centennial. You might not know it, but we've had a few deaths. And it's been hard. And we've been on the front line. It's not a joke. There are lives at stake in our midst, let alone in your areas of influence. We must be about the task that God has given us, for time is short. This scripture here, it seems so negative, and yet it is very encouraging. Through the negative, we see such immense positive, because God chooses his people. There is a relationship with others that forms from our relationship with God. And as we seek over and over and over and over to repent from the sins and get closer and closer to God, moving in our lives, we will see that this good relationship with God reveals good relationship with others. And I'm not talking, buddy, buddy, get a beer tomorrow night. I'm talking, share the gospel of Jesus and be with them for eternity. Let's keep these things in mind. It is good news. God is so good. But we must be sober as we go down that path. A path that Paul would allude to as a battle. As we go down as soldiers. May we be good and faithful till the end. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for an intense word, but such a good word to us. You have chosen us and we don't know why because we're sinful and weak and needy. But you have provided. And in your provision we worship. And as we worship we go. And as we go we share. May we be ones who always have you not only on the mind but in the heart. Praising you always. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.